0: In case you weren't here last week or we haven't met, my name is Chris Campbell, and uh, from time to time I get the uh, privilege of filling in here at the, the pulpit, and um, today we are concluding, yeah, I guess kids are dismissed right now. <laughs> Allow me to inform you that. I'm trying, my, you know, it's convenient because my iPad, I don't know what it's doing to me here, so technology. All right, here we go. Where was I? Good morning. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so uh, we are concluding a mini-series, a two-part series, entitled, Who Do You Think You Are? And the idea is uh, we really wanted to challenge each other with our idea of self-awareness and the way we define ourselves. How do we derive our sense of identity, our perspective on our personhood? Because uh, what, I, what I shared with you last week, it's my deep conviction that there is really nothing in your life that's going to shape your attitude That's going to speak to your motivation. That's going to direct your decisions and impact your behavior and your actions like your perception of self. Who you think you are is going to govern all of that. I'm falling apart here this morning. And when we begin to consider how do we define ourselves, where does our identity come from, it makes a whole lot of sense to get as accurate as we can with that. Because if you move too far down life's pathway with an incorrect identity, with a misconception of who you think you are, things can get off track really quickly and things cannot go well for you. Um, so, yesterday was my wife's birthday, and uh, once a year, my kids and I, we table everything. And anything that woman wants to do is uh, you betcha. And uh, because she is so sacrificial as a wife and as a mom. And so uh, so anything she wants. And we knew we had a... Uh, one of my kids had a cross-country meet yesterday morning. And uh, so she had this bright idea. Hey, we've got to drive west. Let's keep going west. And there's a festival going on around the Ohio River. And let's just explore. Let's be spontaneous, whatever. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know. And uh, so we end up... At this uh, at this festival, and uh, midway through the afternoon on the main stage, they have like a, a talent show, right? And it's sort of like West Virginia's version of like America's Got Talent or you know American Idol or whatever. It wasn't bad. A lot, a lot of folks taking the stage; they were you know really talented people. But every so often, you get a person who would come up, <laughs> and they thought of themselves as a singer, and from the First time they opened their mouth, <laughs> you were like, oh, you can't carry a tune in a bag. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and, it's, and I, I, don't, I have a hard time. I don't laugh at people like that. Instead, I'm, I'm the type of person, I sit there, I feel really awkward I feel, I feel very sorry for them. It's like, you don't have any friends that will tell you the truth, you know? Uh, and, uh, and here you are. It's like, I'm looking at, it's like you're believing something about yourself and this is not going to go well for you, you know, today. And, uh, and I think that we can transfer that over into our own life because we can be a bit blindsided right? Uh, we can be a bit blind to, to, to areas in our life that are blind spots and that, and that maybe we need some help, you know, and understanding. And I think that, that sometimes when you, when you take a, a platform where you're sharing God's Word and you want to share it with just humility and love and truth, uh, sometimes uh, what you need to hear is not easy to hear, And last week, uh, what I was putting out there was something that may be difficult to hear. And that is, when it comes to your identity, when it comes to my identity, you are who God says you are, even on your best days. And I am who God says I am, even on my best days. We made the argument that since he is the creator and we are the created then our point of reference for understanding our identity does not begin with measuring you know, horizontally with each other but really trying to understand the designer's prototype for humanity and how do we match up with that. And we don't match up very well in our natural sense, right? And so, uh, we are going to review just a little bit this morning. We're not going to spend a lot of time on that. I would encourage you, if you missed last week, uh, you know, get to a computer, go online, go to the media archives, download that message. Not because I'm such a great speaker and you need to hear me. But we just laid a foundation last week that is going to be, I think, imperative for you to you know, really understand what we're unpacking this week in the teaching. Uh, Last week, you are who God says you are. I am who God says I am, even on our best days. This week, the good news is, you are who God says you are, and I am who God says I am, even on our worst days. Uh, Last week, we attempted to step in to lay a foundation for the natural state that we find ourselves in as human beings. If you brought your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two, if you've got an app, you can pull that up. Ephesians chapter two, uh, we were in verses one through 10 last week and uh, we zeroed in on verses one through three and we talked about the doctrine of sin and uh, I promised you this week, as we begin to unpack the next seven verses, starting with verse four, things we're going to take a turn uh, for the better. So uh, let's pray. Let's get dialed in. This is a fun place to be on Sunday mornings. You guys, I was sitting up front, you know, as everybody's coming in. You guys are rowdy. I sort of like that. <laughs> It's really rowdy, uh, so uh, so let's get dialed in and uh, and let's uh, let's allow God's word to dial into us. So Father, uh, we know, Lord, that we have come together in the name of Jesus. Uh, we worship you in spirit and truth. We've already prayed, uh, Lord. We uh, acknowledge your presence, uh, Lord, and we desire that you would continue to walk us through the passage today, uh, God. Just like last week, you know, sometimes we can get uh, locked into a train of thought that's contrary to scripture and we don't even realize it and you are faithful to point out the problems uh, that really distort our sense of identity and so this morning God as we uh, work to turn the page as we work to look at the good news I pray father in the name of Jesus that you would guide us through this process and Lord we thank you for the illumination uh, that you provide to the sacred scripture and all God's people said amen Everybody, two words, verse four, but God. Love that Yesterday evening, as we were, we were enjoying our time together, we ended up, uh, my family and I, at this uh, amphitheater along the Ohio River as the sun was setting, and there was like this 80s cover band, you know, that was just sort of rocking out, and we were, we were waiting for the fireworks to start at 10. And, uh, and it those are sort of fun moments because uh, my wife and I, we grew up in the 80s. And that was sort of a time that we were getting to know each other. And uh, we've been married for 24 years. And, uh, and when you hear those old songs, we sort of giggle. And it, you know, it helps you to reminisce. And, uh, and I was thinking about, you know, when we were in high school and even as I was in college, so that would be that, that decade, uh, I, I played the friendship card with her for like seven years dudes in the room, do you know what I'm talking about? Girls, you need to be aware with what I'm about to tell you if you're single. Um, So I, I, my wife and I grew up in the same church, and man, about about the time I was 16, I began to look at her and go, I really, really think I like her, (laughs) you know, and it's like, I'm just, am attracted to her, but I don't think that she's in my league. I think she's out of my league, and I don't think I could even get a a date with her, right? So I went hard on the friendship card. I've got no ulterior motives. I just want to be your friend. I just want to listen to you and hear you and talk. And I just played that friendship card for like seven years, no joke. And, uh, and after I graduated from college and stepped into my first, my first job, first career, and had made the right steps, you know, I began to get established. I asked her out. She says, yes, Awesome. So we start, we start dating and, uh, and while we're dating, uh, you know, we, we really sort of click because we had sort of a friendship, right, to build on. And, and after several months, I sort of do an assessment and I go, well, you know what? Uh, I'm sort of independent. I'm not, I'm autonomous from mom and dad. I got my own place, my own job. My, I'm paying my own bills, working out, you know, my, my finances and everything. Uh, I, I may be ready to take a wife. And I looked around and I thought, I think I'm going to ask her to marry me. And it dawned on me, I was just missing one thing. Do you know what it was? A wedding ring. <laughs> Dudes, don't ever ask a girl to marry you unless you've got a ring, right? you got to. That's evidence. I, yes, I'm serious. Um so I thought, okay, all right, I've never been a jewelry guy. At that point, I don't think I'd ever stepped in a jewelry store in my life. But I had one friend who had gotten married the year before. And I called him up, and I was like, hey, man, uh, I'm going to ask Cynthia to marry me. He's like, oh, that's great, you know, whatever. I'm like, shh, shh all right, keep it to yourself, but I need help buying a ring do you know anything about that? He knew nothing about that. He, you know, he got taken a year ago. And so he was like, yeah, I know. Sure, I can help you. So we, we set up this whole Saturday where we're, you know, we start in Harrison County, Marion, Mon County, and we're just like, we're knocking down all these jewelry stores, right? You know, so we're going in because we're going I'm in search of the perfect ring. And after about the third store that I walk into, the third jeweler that I walk into, I notice that they have a strategy I noticed that evidently they must be able to pick out young guys (laughs) from a mile away, cha ching, you know, who are who are coming and they're looking for looking for an engagement ring. So so you guys in who've done this, you you back me up on this. When I would walk into a jeweler and I would say, hey, I'm here to look for an engagement ring, they would lead me right over to this special showcase. And they would, you know, there was all this lighting, the showcase lighting. And they would, they would let me look through there. And, and I'd look at these rings. And, of course, my buddy's yakking at me about carrots and stuff with like cuts. And I have, he doesn't know what he's talking about, you know. And I'm just trying to look at, okay, what's, what's the max that I can afford that looks like it's legitimate, right? And, uh, and I go, <laughs> and I go uh, how about that ring right there? Not a single jeweler. Not a single salesperson opened up that cabinet and just handed me that ring. Do you know what they did first? They went underneath the cabinet, and they pulled up It looked like a trim-lined box or something. And they put it on top of that display case, and then they unfolded it. And what they unfolded was this deep, dark, black, lint-free velvet. Opened it up. I mean, it was, and that light hit it. There wasn't, there wasn't a speck of dust on it. I mean, it was black, black as could be. And then they said, now, which ring? I said, oh, I want that ring right there. Okay, then they grabbed the ring. They still didn't hand me that ring. Do you know what they did with it? They laid it against the backdrop of that blackness. And do you know what happened? Man, it sparkled. That diamond caught that light against the back of that blackness and it 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 diffracted that light it reflected that light and to the point where I mean you know just a guy knowing nothing about jewelry I was like wow right and they had me and so many times in the scripture God comes to us and he says I got like some bad news for you man and it's dark it's black it's not good but you need to hang in there with me because I promise you, if I can just adjust your perspective from the beginning point, when I showcase the good news, it's good news. It's good news. And last week, we, we laid out the black velvet, right? And, and in the first three verses there, what we discovered was the doctrine of sin, and the point of beginning for every human being, not just as you come into this world, but at your conception, Psalm 51.5, is that we have a sin nature that has to be contended with. That we are hardwired for sin, we found out that that sin always yields death in our life. it brings death in as a byproduct, it brings death in as a consequence. The wages of sin are death Paul unfolded that with this crazy word picture where he's talking about being dead and trespasses and sin in which we were walking, right, and the word picture is of a what a zombie, a zombie, right. And, and then we found out that sin not only yields death, but sin dominates us. The Apostle Paul in Romans 6 says that we are a slave to sin as we come in. We can't help ourselves but sin. And there are, there are three influences that leverages our sin nature against us right there in verse 2. It's the world, it's the devil, and it's even our own flesh So sin yields death. Sin dominates us. And then in verse 3, we find out that sin places us squarely in the space where we're looking down the barrel of God's wrath. And that is bad news. And sometimes it's hard to hear news like that because we believe that there's something intrinsically good about us to start with. We, we want to think that even though we've got some issues, that basically if God was picking a team, surely he'd, he'd pick us to be on his team. But the problem is we have a nature about us that will not sync up to God's holiness. And you remember last week, I told you that the biggest lie of religion is that God somehow takes bad people and makes them good. But the good news of Jesus is, is really that God takes dead people and makes them what? Alive. And that is what we're going to talk about as we look at verse 4. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. If you're taking notes, now is the time to start. I'm going to give you five points about the gospel that makes it pop we give you five points that, that makes it sparkle like a gem. And the first thing that you have to understand about the gospel and what Paul repeats, 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 repeats about being in Christ is that you are loved. You are loved. Now, here we're going to say this together. We're going to build this this morning. So on the count of three, we're going to personalize it. I want you to say out loud. I want you to say it like you mean it, rowdy. Clarksburg Baptist. Um, I am loved on the count of three. One, two, three. I am loved. Look at verse four. It says, God being rich in mercy. Do you guys know what mercy is? Mercy is not sympathy. It's not empathy. It's not compassion. God is all, God's capable of all those things. Mercy is when a person has it within their authority and power to judge you and to inflict consequences or pain, and they don't do it. They pull back. That is mercy. Clarksburg Baptist, your God is rich in mercy. And why would he extend mercy? Check it out because of the great love with which he loved us. And we know God is love, but what that verse tells us is that God is intentional with his love. He directs it towards you. He directs it towards me, and he confirms that love. We talked about that in John three sixteen last week. Let me give you another verse, Romans 5, 8. But God commends his love towards us in that while we were still sinners and dead Christ died for us that means god didn't assess your situation and, and and try to figure out do you think this person is going to be serious if i give them a chance to come clean he just made the way for you before you ever had the option or the choice that is love That's intentional love, and God confirms it. And there's an amazing way that I think we as Christians overlook this confirmation all the time. So um, before my wife and I, before we were engaged, um, and this is going to shock some of you in the room, um, once upon a time, we couldn't text. Um, We, as a matter of fact, people didn't even carry their phones with them. Uh, there was no internet, there was no email and this is going to blow your mind. It cost a lot of money to make what we used to call a long distance phone call. Does anybody remember this <laughs> so uh So my wife and I we had been dating for you know for a while and uh And this the the summer that we had, you know, our our relationship was really getting traction. Uh, She was going on a trip out west, and she'd be gone for like I don't know, seven or ten days or something like that. And uh, and unbeknownst to me, before she left, she had bought you know one of these nice Hallmark cards, and uh, she dropped that in the mail on the day that she was leaving. So a couple days into the trip, I get this card in the mail, and I open it up, and and here's this nice you know Hallmark greeting thing, and it says something nice. But on the on the blank side of the car, you know, you open up a car and you've got the whole blank side. She had filled that whole side up talking about how excited she is about our relationship, telling me about the things that she really cherishes about me and about us. And I had it in writing, I love you. I had it in writing. And I'm telling you, I, I, was, I suspected that she loved me. <laughs> I was hoping that she loved me. But when I had it in writing, man, it impacted me like nothing. I forgot the card today. I kept it. And that supernatural book that's in your pew, that's on your lap, I'm just telling you from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, that is a love letter from God to you. And when you study it, you boil it right down to the dumb little notes we used to pass each other in junior high and middle school and grade school. Uh, I love you. Do you love me? Check the box, yes or no right? That is, that is God's presentation of the gospel and the good news. And, and the fact of the matter is, the bottom line, the first thing that God wants every single person to know, especially as you have opened up your heart to him and chosen to believe on Jesus Christ as your Savior, is he has confirmed it. It is in writing. He has demonstrated, folks, you are loved. You are loved. So I want us to say it together. I am loved on the count of three. One, two, three. I am loved. Oh, amen. That's good. All right, let's look on. It goes on here. So he's rich in mercy, great and intentional with his love. Now look at this, verse five. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I think I could take those two verses, five and six, I, I think I could do an eight-week series on it. I mean, it is just like, it is so deep and mind-blowing. But here's, here's, the, here's, the, uh, here's the, the reader's digest for you. That testifies not only to the fact that we're loved... That says we're secure. We're secure. I am secure. Say it with me on three. One, two, three. I am secure. Now, this may be hard for you to hear. But I want you to trust me. I want you to set aside maybe some of the things, some of the conclusions that you may have drawn to this point in your life. Because there is a richness here of security that you and I have to wrap our minds around. Um, When we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. I asked you a trick question last week. I said, how many sins does it take for a person to become a sinner? And the right answer to that is what? Zero. Why? Why? Because you're born that way. A follow-up question then is, okay, well, how many good works does it take for a person to have a new nature that's not a sinner? And the answer is zero. Why? Because you've got to be born that way, which was the whole message that Jesus shared with Nicodemus. Nicodemus. What God tells us here is that when we are born again, we're not only given new life, but who is that life united with? Alive with Christ. Alive together with Christ. Do you know what that tells me? That tells me that my new nature is not dependent upon my ability to keep it in line. My new nature is is dependent upon the interface that I have with my savior and I am united in life with him. That tells me that his life is my life. The apostle Paul says in second Corinthians chapter five, this is a totally good doctrinal thing for us to believe in because God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that through him we might become the righteousness of Christ. We gave God our sin, he puts it on Jesus on the cross it is paid for, and then he, and he downloads his righteousness upon us. And it's not a one-time thing. It is a union that we were born to live in forever. And it redefines us. 2 Corinthians five seventeen, the Apostle Paul says, Behold, if any person is in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. When you came in here this morning in your bulletin, you got a bookmark, and on one side of that bookmark, you're going to see a who I am in Christ at the top, and then you're going to have a lot of truths. There's 33 of them. That's not an exhaustive list. This is just all we could fit on a bookmark. That's, that is your true identity. That's the beginning of it. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you've been born again, this is who you are in Christ, you say, ah, I look at some of those and, and I don't know. I know it's hard. But listen, you are who God says you are, even on your worst days. And, and I, want to, I want to stretch you just a second here because you can survey this whole list. And you can look through the whole New Testament. And nowhere are you going to find the identity of a Christian being that of a sinner. It's not there. And I really want to challenge you to consider that because I grew up in a Christian culture where I heard very sincere pastors, teachers, very sincere older saints share of God's goodness, share of God's grace. And somewhere within that message, they would always work in this idea but we're all sinners. Or I'm just just sort of a poor old sinner saved by grace. And, And I understand that that comes from a place of humility. That comes from a place of deep sincerity. But that is wrong. You are no longer a sinner. That nature has been severed and put to death with Jesus long ago, and we are resurrected in new life. And I know, I know there's somebody that's looking right now. Well, Paul said he was a chief of sinners, and I'm going to show that, Chris, when we're done. Listen. There is a verse where Paul categorizes himself as the chief of sinners. And I would advise you to look at the verses ahead of it and after it. He is describing his life as a Pharisee, a religious man who could knock it out of the park in his heritage, in his education, and in his behavior. And when he summed it all up, recognizing that it's not about good works, he said, My point of beginning is the chief of sinners. But even in this book that Paul wrote in Ephesians, over 40 times he's talking about being in Christ and the new identity that we have in Christ. And if you're here this morning and somehow you're categorizing yourself in this general class of sinners, or if you're saying, hey, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, here's what I will promise you. Your behavior will reflect your belief. If you believe you're a sinner, you are going to behave like a sinner. But if you can begin to reformat and base your identity on the truth of who God says you are, even on your worst days, you don't really have to worry about your behavior because it's gonna start to fall right in line because your belief always determines your behavior. Now, let's say somebody came in late to Clarksburg Baptist Church. That never happens here, right? Everybody's punctual. Let's say, now if somebody comes in late, I'm going to feel really stupid. Um, but let's say, let's say somebody, you know, they're running late. So they, they, they come in off the street. The, the door opens. And as they're coming through the door, making their way into the sanctuary, in behind them, before the door closes, comes this butterfly. All right? And, it, and the butterfly just sort of floats its way up. And as they're coming in the sanctuary, the butterfly comes in the sanctuary. And I'm not talking about one of these cruddy little moths. I'm talking about like a monarch butterfly. You know what I'm talking about? Like the big ones, right? The monarch. And, and we, and all of a sudden, you know, we see this thing, and it's just fluttering around, and it's sort of got everybody's attention, right? Because there's, a, I mean, a monarch butterfly. That is some kind of paint job, right? And, and we're just, you know, we're just looking at this butterfly, just sort of distracted and astounded by it. I guarantee you, there's not a person sitting in a pew here this morning that's going to elbow the person beside of him and go, wow, look at that converted caterpillar, right? Because it's been transformed into a new identity. That metamorphosis is the Greek word that's translated transformed when it's talking about a Christian's conversion. We are no longer sinners. I'm not perfect. I sin every day, but God has called me a saint and I sometimes sin. That's a whole different perspective right? Because one falls in under condemnation and the other gives me the hope that maybe day by day I can cooperate a little more with the life that God has transplanted into me through the Holy Spirit, the life of Jesus. I'm secure, You are secure. It's not just that we're loved, but God has proven it and he has made a way for us to be alive together with Christ. Jesus Christ died once and for all for the sin of the world. Will he ever die again? No, he will not. He will never die again. And guess what? My life is hidden in his. I don't have to worry about death. We come into the world, we guarantee we're born once. We guarantee we're probably going to die again physically. And without Christ, we face a second death that is real. And it's destruction, it's the separation from God. But the good news of the gospel is we can come into the world, we're born once. Before we die that physical death, we can be born again, never having to fear A short transition from the physical realm into the reality of eternal heaven. I like that security, right? So on the count of three, I am secure. One, two, three. I am secure. All right, it's good news, yes? Let's keep it going then. Look at verses six and seven. It says uh, there that God has raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I don't have time to go into that, but that is rich, man. Search that one out on your own. So that in the coming ages he may show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Okay, the third point here of the gospel is that you are timeless. I am timeless. So let's say it together on three one, two, three. I am timeless. It makes no difference. What this body ends up looking like after, you know, an 80-year haul or whatever. Uh, You are timeless. I got a very good friend who's a pastor. He loves to take issue with people when, when people say, well, you know, as human beings, you know, we have a spirit. He pushes back on that and he goes, no, as a human being, you are a spirit. You are a spirit, and for now, you are inside this this earth suit that gets you around in time and space. But at our core, we are timeless. And, And guys, eternal life is not something that you get to cash in on once you hit the pearly gates. Eternal life happens, bang, when you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, he said, I've come to give you life and to give it in abundance. He says in John 14, 6, that, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. In John 17:3, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. You are timeless because the eternal spirit of God is now in you, and you have a new identity. You are going to live forever, forever. You are timeless in a union with God, your creator. That is mind-blowing. I don't know how to explain it, but it Makes me feel sort of warm and fuzzy in here. (laughs) You know, it gives me that extra understanding of good news of how good the gospel is. So on the count of three, I am timeless. One, two, three. I am timeless. Very good. All right, let's press on. Very common verses here. Look at verse eight. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The fourth point here of the gospel is that you're priceless. So you're not just loved. You're not just secure. You're not just timeless. But in Christ, you are priceless. Say that with me on three. I am priceless. One, two, three. I am priceless. Uh, What do you think your soul is worth? I mean, what do you think it would take to ransom your soul and to rescue it out of darkness and to bring it into the kingdom of light? What do you think it costs to bring a dead person to life? It costs nothing short of the broken body and the blood of Jesus, God's son. That tells me, it goes back to that first point, that we're loved. God would rather die than to live without you. Do you understand that? You are priceless in Christ. And I, and I think that that's hard because we live life where we get beat up and battered sometimes. So let me, let me give you something here to think about. So, um, front row, what is that? That's a $100 bill. Somebody, One of the ushers from the back said, get that plate up here again. Uh, <laughs> That's a $100 bill. That's a, that's, a, that's a brand new $100 bill, right? And and uh, if I were to say this morning, "Hey, no strings attached. I'm not going to a- ask you to do anything crazy." But uh, but if I were to give this away, who wants this 100? Who wants this 100? Yep. Okay. So what if I said, "Okay, well listen. Who wants this 100? Who still wants it?" All right? What about now? Who wants this 100? Okay, still want it. All right. What about now? Who wants this really? All right. Who wants this hundred? Why do you still want this hundred? Because nothing that's happened to it has decreased the value of it. And you know what folks? I I hear people all the time and They've lived lives of discouragement. They have been treated unjustly, unfairly. They have been abused. They have been abandoned. As the scripture said, they've been struck down. They, have, they bear the marks of, of, of real hardship in this life. But I am telling you, it doesn't matter. You are priceless. Your creator loves you your creator your savior he has made a way for you to be secure in oneness you are timeless he will continually have his eye on you and you are priceless can we say that together I am priceless I am priceless I don't know if you sound like you mean that or not let's try that again on the count of three one two three I am priceless very good very good alright let's land this thing Look at verse 10. So it says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. There's this phrase again, in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Um, Your translation there may say we are his workmanship or we are his masterpiece. It's really interesting. Uh, That word in the Greek is a word that's spelled P-O-I-E-M-A, poema. Does that remind you of any English words that we know? Poem. I can see your mouth in it. Poem, yeah, poem. Um, to the Greeks during Paul's day and age, a couple thousand years ago, uh, the Greek writers were at the height of their glory. And they were writing these epic tales that they called Poemus. Um, some of you in high school or college, like Homer's The Odyssey, and these great, great, great storylines uh, you know, that had these incredible uh, you know, protagonists and antagonists, and there's a storyline of, you know, is, are they going to be able to reach the goal? And, and th- that's where the epic storytelling in, human, uh, in the human uh, history was going on. And the Apostle Paul says, uh, listen, you are God's poema. Uh, we could step back. If we had the capacity, we could go through all of human history and do you know what we would never find? Another you. We could, we could survey the whole planet today and we would never find another you. Even, even identical twins, they're not the same people. You guys know this, Right? And we could go as far off into the future as we care to, as far as, as, the, as, as humanity as it exists now exists here on planet Earth. And you know what we're never going to find? Another you. And I find that interesting because that testifies to a creator who is unique and who has a specific idea for the way that he has wired every single one of us. And we all face challenges, and some of them are different than others. But I am telling you, a life that is founded on a true identity of who you are in Christ knows no limitations when it comes to God writing out the script that he has for your life and for his glory. Um, what that tells us here, even if you back up to verse six, is that God plans to showcase the story of your life as you have yielded to him throughout all eternity so that he might display the riches of his glory. And, And I'm just telling you, the world, the devil, and your flesh does not want you to understand that. Because sometimes we want to get into this habit of thinking to where You know, maybe God can't be trusted and I can figure this out better on my own. But that's not true. Only in Christ do you find your way in a way that brings an understanding that your life matters. Your life matters, it has significance, because God has a storyline that can only be written for the person that he's created you to be. And in Christ, you are now free to be the person that he created you to be. That's like a really good place for an amen. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so, so, I want us to understand. I, you know, we are significant, you are significant. Let's say that together. I am significant, all right? So the the good news of the gospel, as you lay it against the backdrop of sin, the blackness, as we put that gem down, there's five points. What's the first one? I am what? I am lovable. Yes, what's the second one? I am secure. What's the next one? I am timeless. And the fourth one? Amen. And I am... Significant. Now listen, I don't expect you to keep that overnight and absorb it. It's going to be something that you're going to have to train yourself to think in that way. And sometimes we need to stop and just simply reformat our minds. Uh, and here's a really good way to do it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave you with a challenge. I have used these bookmarks for 20 years. And when I work with people you know, who really have a, a fundamental misunderstanding of who they think they are, I'll give them this bookmark. And I'll say, here's what I want you to do. For 30 days, twice a day, I just want you to read these out loud. Uh, You can read these out loud in less than a minute, 30 seconds. I've timed myself before. So I'm only asking you, you know, three minutes of your day. Read these out loud. Usually do it once in the morning, once in the evening. You go, well, why would I do that? Because as you confess the truth with your mouth... Your ears will pick it up and funnel it into your mind. And our minds are renewed as our faith increases. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. It's how you reformat your mind. And as you're reading this just twice a day to yourself for 30 days, it takes 30 days to build a new habit. It takes 30 days to sort of retrain your mind how to think. Turn this into a quiet time with God. As one of those jumps out at you, go to the scripture and look at what it says. You know, if you're really getting traction with it, you can go to uh, my website, generationfreedom.org. We've got a free app on there that you can download. It's a 30-day devotional that you can just, it's, got, it's these identity statements. And you know, we just believe that strongly, that as you begin to understand who you are in Christ, the things that have been weighing you down and tripping you up now suddenly have less and less power and influence over your life. Does that make sense?